0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Kleber, your host, and with me today are your co-host, Caleb Wells. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Don't blow away, Caleb. (laughs) Stay with us. (laughs) I'm here. I'm good. No, I hope uh, the rest of the hurricanes throughout the season miss you as well, so. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. All right. We also got Wailu. Howdy, Wai. Hey. Hello. Good. Good. So, and our guest today, special guest, Cecil Phillip. (laughs) Hi. Welcome, Cecil.
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me on. Thanks yeah, for joining us. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Thanks for joining. To get things started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Cecil, and how you got into programming and what you do now? Sure. No problem.
1: So originally, I'm from the Caribbean. I was born and raised in an island called Antigua. And you know, I lived there for about, I want to say, the first like 19 years of my life. But at that point, it was you know, one day my dad, he brought a computer home. And, you know, this was a while ago, right? This is when Compact Presarios and stuff like that were still, like, you know, the type of computers people were buying. And them, so. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were pretty, I think they were pretty popular at that point, right? A lot of folks were buying, like, Compact, you know, branded com- computers. But anyway, he brings his computer home. And, you know, back then when you bought a computer, it came with, like, books. <laughs> you know, you like a computer and there's a stack of books, like, manuals and all kinds of stuff like this is how you do the thing and inside of one of those books was like a intro to computers quote unquote but it was really a book about like html and css and you know just random things you could do on the machine and i remember one summer i was you know i was just bored i didn't have anything to do so i started flipping through this book and i'm like oh okay it says type this thing in notepad and hit save and then double click at it And so, you know, I did a stupid little thing and then I put my name on the screen. Now, today, like, that's not like the most exciting thing to to do in software development. But for me, I was just like, yo, this is the most amazing thing in the world. So I'm going, I'm calling my friends on the phone and I'm like, hey... Yo, you need to come to the house. I just I just put my name on this computer thing, it's on the screen, like you need to see it. Like it's crazy, right? But I think like that little moment for me was what it was, right? Like that was the switch that kind of like sparked my curiosity and kind of pushed me to go forward. Because again, you know, when we think about what was going on at that particular time and also, you know, what was happening in the country that I was from, having computers in the house was not a common thing. Never mind, you know, we we never had computer classes or computers at all in high school right so this was this was just like a, a completely foreign machine like the only thing i knew you did on it was play solitaire because that's what my dad did all day he played solitaire and he played minesweeper right and i was like okay well solitaire machine but then you know over time like i saw you know little stores and shops started open up in the country and folks were like fixing computers and i was like oh well maybe maybe i could do that right like maybe i could fix computers for a living. I could have like Cecil's computer shop and that could be a thing that I do. So when it was time for me to leave to go to college, I was like, hey, well, I want to do computer stuff. I want to do computer science. I'm going to learn how to fix machines and then I'm going to come home and I'm going to open a store or shop or whatever the case is. I'm going to do that. But, you know, just like in everything in life, right? Like perspective is such an important thing, like when you make decisions. And I say that because... You know, my perspective of computers and the industry and, like, what's possible was solely based on the people that were around me playing solitaire, right? (laughs) And the people that came to the house to fix the computer when, like, the printer wasn't working or, you know, our dial-up was making not the right noise or whatever the case is, right? But now I, I go to college and, you know, I got my first laptop, you know, so the first machine that actually belonged to me. And I started, you know, writing programs and like Assembly and Java and C++. And, you know, I'm talking to these companies that come over to career fairs talking about, oh, well, you could do this thing and that thing. And, you know, I remember Microsoft was there and Corel was there. And, you know, this is going to date me, but like Macromedia was there, like all these different types oh, of companies. Don't
0: worry about being dated. Caleb and I have taken care yeah. of that well, well before you. <laughs> we're, we're, we're all dated.
1: <laughs> right. But these but these were the kind of people that were coming by and they yeah. were showing us all the things that were possible. And I'm like, you know, I had no idea. So you needed to tell me, like, I could leave, you know, where I'm from, I could come here in the United States and I could work for these companies and I could do these things and I could build software. Like, I don't have to, like, fix machines. I don't have to be someone's handyman and, you know, I could do more than that. I didn't know that. So again, that's why I said, like, perspective is such an important thing, right? And so you know, with me moving from one place to another, like my world kind of opened up a little bit more and I was able to see more and understand more. And so from that point, I was just like, well, let me, let me see how far this thing can go. <laughs> right?" Just, every time you set a goal, like you kind of make new ones after you meet that one, right? And so, you know, so, it's, so far it's worked out pretty well. You know, today I'm employed at Microsoft as a developer advocate. And I think a part of my job that I really enjoy the most is being able to turn on those light bulbs for other people, right? Being able to give them that perspective and share that type of information that I might not have had, you know, again, just based on my surroundings and the environment and, you know, the things that were available around me. Cool. That's real, awesome. quick,
0: oh, real quick, Cecil. I want to let you know that your voice level changes quite a bit depending on if you're oh. speaking at the mic or not. So, I'm going to try and not move. Okay. <laughs> there we go. All right, so do you think you're still interested in opening up a shop or are you good now at Microsoft?
1: You know, I definitely don't think I'm going to try and fix computers for a living, for sure. <laughs> like that's definitely not that's definitely not a goal of mine anymore, but you know, I am definitely always interested in in trying to help other folks learn not only just the business of computing, but, you know, like the economics of it. Like, how can it help you and your environment, like your country, you know, mm-hmm. like make the lives of other people a lot better, right? And I think those, for me, are like some of the most rewarding things that we could do. Particularly after you've been in the industry for a little bit, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm in the industry about 10 years now. So I've, I've worked in corporate. I've worked in small companies and big companies, you know, I've built products. And now I'm kind of, you know, doing education as an advocate. And for me, like at this point in my career, I want to say I've felt the most fulfilled because, you know, being able to help folks do those types of things are really interesting. And so I think if I was ever supposed to leave and do something different, it'll probably be something along those types of lines, whether it's opening up some type of educational company or a system or mentorship type program to be able to help other people, you know, understand the capabilities and what's possible in the industry.
2: I think that really, um, I think that that multiplier effect is what draws a lot of developers into the passion of IT. The fact that yeah. what they can do can can make multitudes of difference um, to other people's lives, whether yeah, that's good de- or bad.
1: Well, it definitely does. I think what's important too is it's important for for new folks to always feel like there's someone there that they could talk to from a very fundamental level, right, mm. regardless of whether you're talking about high school folks or you know older folks that are transitioning over to different careers it's it's always important for for me and for them for, for all of us to be able to say hey i I have a problem and I could reach out to this person or these people to kind of help me with it, and you know those are the conversations that kind of drive the industry when you think about it, right so imagine this. I want to I want to start a startup, right? I know I need technology and I need programmers and I need all these types of stuff. Probably the first thing I'm going to do is be like, hey, do I have any friends that have startups? And then one of you are going to say yes. So Caleb's going to say, yes, sure. I use, you know, I use AWS and I use Python and I use Go and da-da-da-da, whatever, whatever. And I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm going to do that too because I know Caleb and Caleb is using things and it's you know he's obviously done it longer than I have, and it's working for him. Now I have someone that I could talk to and ask the question, right? Which is very different from like a book or a Pluralsight video or like mm. a YouTube thing, right? Like there is a person and there's a relationship with that person. And so, but now like that conversation has just influenced some of my technology decisions. Obviously as companies grow and evolve, like things change, but like that initial conversation is going to be like, hey, if I need help, can I talk to you about it? Hopefully, you'll say yes. Hopefully, we're good enough friends and he won't turn me down. (laughs) Hopefully, we'll be okay. But that initial conversation is going to be like, okay, I I see you doing it and you're being successful. Now, let me see if I could do that with whatever my particular focus happens to be. So, how long have you been at Microsoft? Uh, It's about about three years now, actually. Uh, July 2020 made three years. Um, It's funny. I was just talking to someone about it today. And... You know, when you think about time, right, like I never, I don't know, I had no idea how much time had passed, right? It doesn't feel like three years at all. Mainly because it feels like we just have so much more work we got to get done and so many more interesting things that we could work on. But yeah, it's been three three really interesting years. Um, Like I've been on the developer advocacy team this entire time. Um, and if you're if folks aren't familiar with our te- what our team does we focus on essentially developer experiences right we try to make sure that whether you're a startup or a student or an enterprise you know whether you're doing open source stuff whether you're using net or python or java or whatever the case is you know whatever whatever platform whatever programming language we want to make sure that you have a really good experience using our tools and services and so, a part of that has to do with us, you know, getting that feedback and bringing that back into the product team, and then also bringing, you know, taking some of those new features and those changes that we we our team created, and then bringing them back up into the ecosystem to be like, well, you know, you said you wanted us to do this thing, and we've done it. You know, let us know what you think about it. Let us know if this solves your problem.
2: I think it must be so exciting to be in the developer advocacy team in Microsoft right now, compared to, I mean, just compared to what. Seeing what Microsoft has done in the last couple of years, you know that shift towards Azure and open source tools, and you know they've become a much more developer friendly company these days.
1: Yeah, I want to say, well, I wasn't at Microsoft prior to prior to Satya, but you know, I could say from from what I've seen from the outside and what I've seen now that I'm on the inside, it's it's really great to be surrounded by such a diverse group of folks with different perspectives on technology. And so when I say that, what do I mean? Like our particular team, just as an example, you know, we have folks that are heavily rooted in the Java community, on the Go community, and the JavaScript community, and also obviously the .NET community. But a lot of these folks wouldn't wouldn't be categorized as quote unquote, Microsoft folks, right? They'd be like, oh, Microsoft, I don't want to work there. They're not doing anything interesting or anything that I necessarily care about. And I also don't feel like Microsoft cares about my community. But you can see today, like the state of the world is a lot different, right? Mm-hmm. At least when it comes to Microsoft and, and how they choose to interact with developers and how we choose to support developers. And so now being in a team with all of these different folks, the conversations are so interesting, right? Because now, you know, there's so many different ways to solve a problem, right? And sometimes too, like the way you solve the problem is based on the context, Right well, hey, am I using this framework or that framework? Or like, what type of support is for this protocol over here or there? Or maybe can we put two things together and make something new and different, right? And so that's one of the things I'm really grateful for is to be able to collaborate with all these different folks in the team. Again, folks that I probably never would have worked with or, you know, gone to the same conferences as or met online. And then really just be able to share those types of experiences with everyone. I grew up about 25,
0: 20, 25 miles out of, side of Redmond in the mid 80s. So I've really seen Microsoft since the beginning. And I remember the day they went public. And I'm really sorry, I didn't buy any stock then. But but I really like the Microsoft of today, you know, seeing all the different phases that it's gone through. I really like what they're doing, being a lot more transparent, really open, really trying to support all the different types of communities, not just the Microsoft community, you know, what was typical so called, you know, the Microsoft community. They're, yeah. you know, now they're supporting Linux, Mac, everything, They all the cloud, everything. So they really want to make everybody as happy as they can.
1: Right. I think one of the things you'll, well, we can probably all agree on is that to be successful in technology, you you have to be open to everyone and every possibility, right? Whether that means like differences of mobile phone operating systems, whether that's differences of, you know, desktop computing operating systems or, you know, differences in terms of, you know, how I choose to use the internet, right? Like we have to think about all these different things and and see, well, if we want to be successful as as any tech company, like we have to be able to engage and work with customers and and people wherever they happen to be, right? So, you know, some of you all might be writing C++ or an assembly language, right? You know, some of us might be writing some other things like Haskell and Go and, you know, Python and C Sharp. Like, there's so many different things there. So, like, how do, you, how do you create an ecosystem that kind of supports all of that, right? And then also make them feel like, hey, I don't have to change who I am as a developer to be able to play the game, right? Like, we want everyone to have the same fair chance to come in and, and be a part of what's happening today.
0: Yeah, when I was at Microsoft Ignite yeah, last, last year, you know, a big emphasis and theme was on inclusion you know, personal inclusion of all different people. And I really think that's a, a good way to go. It's no matter who you are, if you want to be a developer, the system should be open for you and support you and, and want to enable you to make whatever you, uh you know, see yourself building.
1: Yeah, I think that topic of inclusion is such such an important one for a lot of us to talk about. And it's really good to see the amount of, of tangible evidence from Microsoft in terms of how they're choosing to actually make progress, how they're choosing to listen, you know, and how they're choosing to support a lot of folks when it comes to diversity and inclusion. You know, we, we see very often all the time from different industries and different companies, you know, when something happens, then all of a sudden people are very much in support of whatever the trending thing happens to be. And then it's not trending anymore and then we don't hear from them again. Right. And that's, that's, that's very common. You know, one of the things I'm definitely proud about is the consistency that comes from Microsoft. And, and I think maybe too, because I'm internal, I could see a lot more of it, but just because, you know, a certain topic or a certain issue socially is not trending anymore, doesn't mean like we forget about it because for some of us, that's our life every day, day to day. And, you know, when you think about, you know, walking into a room and being able to see people that are like you or you know, they're from the same place that you're come from or, you know, they've had similar experiences that you have and being able to see like even a mixing pot of that type of team or that type of company, like it, it does something for you from a morale perspective right, and from a trust perspective. And now when we think about building teams right? From a a perspective of longevity, right? Like that's how, that's how your employees are going to stay with you because you have to build that trust and that faith to make them feel like, hey, you're, you belong here and I want you to be comfortable here and I want you to succeed here. You know, this really does kind of lead into our topic
3: today, Dapper, because, right, it's, it is inclusive of multiple programming languages and frameworks and stacks. And I've watched I watched your video and a couple of things. We'll add into the show notes, but really interesting framework. Can you tell us a little, little more about that and how you got involved with it?
1: Sure, I'm really excited about the Dapr project. So, for folks that are listening and might not know, so Dapr D A P R stands for distributed application runtime. And what it is or what are the main goals of Dapr is to make it easier to build microservice like, you know, cloud native, you know, distributed systems applications, right? And so so what does that mean? Like how do I do that? When you look across the gambit of you know, what we consider to be like the microservice ecosystem. Like there's a lot of stuff in there, right? Like you'll hear folks mention Kubernetes and Istio and Helm and Prometheus and stuff, right? Like you just keep hearing different names thrown out at you. And, you know, when your boss comes to you and say, hey, we want to start looking at this microservice pattern or architecture, now you're going to be like, oh my gosh, like... Where am I supposed to get started? Like, there's so many different names, so many different technologies that I have to kind of piece together to kind of play in that world, right? And it's intimidating, right? It's stressful and it's a little intimidating because you don't know where to start. Like, what's the first puzzle piece, and like, where do I get the rest of them? And one of the things Dapper does is it tries to make that easier for you by creating like an abstraction around some of the more common patterns around building microservices or about building distributed applications. So when you think about a distributed app, like what are some of the main problems that you might have? Right? Like I have one or many services, and then I have one or many instances of those services. How do I know where they... Like what's the location, right? How do I how do I share configuration across all these services? How do I share security settings and those types of things across all the services? How do I wire up things like messaging and do distributed distributed tracing and like there's a lot there, right? And that's when we start to reach for like these different puzzle pieces to try and piece them together. But what Dapper does is, well, they're like, okay, well, we'll we'll work out the the integration part of a lot of those those building blocks. And then all you have to do is figure out, well, what are the pieces that you want to use? And then, you know, once you add this connected to Dapper, Dapper kind of just make that happen. So so that's a very high level example. If we talk about some of the very specific ones, Dapper offers things like, you know, publish subscribe, because when you think about building distributed apps and messaging, messaging is a huge of that. So it offers a publish subscribe building block and component. It offers distributed tracing and it supports the open telemetry standard, which is pretty cool. You know, it also supports service discovery and service invocation. So again, using service discovery, I don't have to know where my service is. Dapper knows where it is. All I have to say is, hey, do you have a service that can do this thing? Here's the payload. Could you let me know when it's done? Right? And then Dapper will be responsible for finding the service. The service and returning those results to you, which, which is great. You know, things like caching or you know, distributed state stores, you know, things like actors, like all these different types of components where usually it has to go out and okay, well, I need to pull in Redis, but not only do I have to pull in Redis, I gotta find the Redis SDK. Okay, now I need to find RabbitMQ because I want to do messaging, but I gotta set up Rabbit and I gotta pull in the SDK into my particular. Applications. Maybe I'm doing Python or .NET. Like, what does their SDK look like, and how do I wire that up? I don't want really to want to do all of that, right? And then what happens if something, you know, something happens and I need to change the component? Like, what if I need to change the provider I'm using for caching, right? What if I need to change the provider I'm using for service discovery? Now that that's a non-trivial change to make, right? Because now I have to go and un- un- uninstall all these packages and SDKs from my respective applications. I gotta, you know, I gotta redo the whatever the new thing is. And then I have to push that update across all of my services, across my cluster or wherever it is that they happen to be. With Dapper now, it becomes so much easier now because it's it's more so of hey, I'm gonna change a configuration, right? My configuration might point to my point to Cosmos DB and application Insights. So it might point to something like a Zipkin or you know, some other component in the ecosystem but from the perspective of my application I don't really I don't really know about that I just know that hey dapper can you store state yes here you go some state could you store that for me hey dapper could could you tell me if you have a service that does this yes here you go here's my payload dapper can you do pub sub yes here you go here's like a message could you publish this on the queue or through the message bus and figure that out. So when you think about now from a deployments and updating perspective, it makes your life a little bit easier, right? Because now there's less change to your code that you have to manage, right? And then also too, like it allows you to play in that ecosystem where I could kind of, you know, pull in and pull out, you know, swap in and swap out different components without changing my application. And so now I can experiment with that world and see how things work and see what's the best fit for me. And then, you know, regardless of whether it's today or two years from now, I could very easily change out those components to suit my need at the time.
2: So would you say that it's similar, would, would it be similar to something like is it a framework that essentially allows you to decouple your, each component inside a distributed application so that it's it
1: works independently and then you can handle all the integration for you? Yeah, so Dapper, so if you're familiar with the sidecar pattern, Dapper essentially implements itself as a sidecar. Yeah. I'm so so actually...
0: we, we might be familiar with the sidecar, but some of our audience may not be. So why don't you explain a little bit about what that is?
1: Sure, sure. So with with the sidecar pattern, what happens is you, whenever you deploy your application, you'll probably have like another host process or another thing that's running right next to it. And instead of communicating with other things on the network directly, you can instead just communicate with the sidecar. And so whatever's inside of that, that process or that code or, or that service that's running, it will be able to talk to some of the other ones that are on the network. They might be on you know, on the same network, on different machines. They might be across the cloud, on different hosts, on different places. But essentially, you know, your sidecar is going to be responsible for like, those pieces of functionality that you might want to make use of. So now from your app's perspective like you're always on localhost you're always communicating on localhost you're always doing stuff that's right here. But instead of again like pulling in different services and components and different packages or whatever I just have to figure out hey is dapper running like right next to me? Like literally right next to you on the same box. Like is dapper here? Yes it's here and then once I connect to it now I have access to whatever else is on that cluster of connected nodes or dapper. Right. So again, like the great thing about that sidecar pattern, again, is because hey, I don't need to know about too much about like the network topology. I don't have to worry too much about firewalls and you know, passwords and those types of things from my application's perspective. Instead, I can just talk to like the service that's running on the machine right next to me, and I could talk to that instead. And then that will be able to do some of that mediation of all these other services and building blocks and stuff.
3: How does dapper integrate these services? Is it container-based, and what do you need to do to get dapper up and running on your machine? Is it a NuGet package, or, or what are the steps?
1: Sure. That's a really great question, And it's one of the things that I like I'm really passionate about, from a perspective of dapper should be able to run wherever your application is. So what does that mean? That means that if you're using containers or not, you could still use Dapper. Whether you're running in a virtual machine or not, you could still use Dapr. Whether you're in Kubernetes or not, you could still use Dapr. All it is today is just an executable. So if you're running on Linux or, or OSX, you could install it via homebrew or package manager of your native OS, whatever wherever it happens to be. You could pull it down directly from GitHub. Um, all the releases are on GitHub, and you know Dapper is also open source, so you could always check that out as well. But it's it's just a very lightweight executable. So you you know you download Dapper, you you know you Dapper run, and you pass it a set of configuration files, or you point it at a folder, and maybe that folder has like a collection of configuration files for different components that you want to use. And then and then that's it. Then you just start talking to it locally, like on that same machine. So in terms of how you configure it or set it up, now it supports, like I mentioned, some of these different building blocks. And those building blocks are essentially like the actual implementations of those patterns that I talked about. So again, if we want to talk about PubSub, my PubSub might be backed by Azure Service Plus. It might be backed by RabbitMQ. It might be backed by Redis, right? From the perspective of my application, again, I don't care. I just talk to Dapper. But from the Dapper perspective, like when I run it, I need to pass it a selection of configuration files. And usually Dapper is configured using YAML. I know different people have different opinions about YAML, but you know that's just the state of the world. We have to use YAML. So you pass it a set of YAML configuration files and you essentially say, Dapper, I have a, a state thing or a PubSub thing or a metrics thing. And here, is the, here are the credentials for it. Here is the host where it lives. And go, go ahead, go for it, right? And just, it'll, just, it'll just set it up for you. But even from that perspective, you don't have to write any source code per se. Like you have to do some configuration, of course. There's YAML files to write and whatnot. But there's no code for you to write in terms of integrating those pieces together. So the components are written in a way that they know how to set themselves up in those respective services. So again, I'm going to use RabbitMQ again as another example. So, if you're familiar with RabbitMQ, which is a, a service broker or a messaging service, you know, right in RabbitMQ, you have the concept of queues, you have exchanges, you have connections. Once I set that stuff up inside of Dapper, it'll go ahead and create those things for me inside of RabbitMQ, and my app can make use of them through Dapper, but like I don't ever have to manage those, right? I don't have to make sure that, you know, the exchange is connected to the right queue, I don't have to make sure that it's using the right You know, whether I'm using Fanout or, you know, you know, a direct exchange or anything like that, like that will just do that for me, And, you know, we adjust as it spins up. When the application spins back down, it will clean up all of those, you know, all those artifacts that it created. So then it still keeps your system fairly clean. And again, it does this for everything else it supports. Right. I believe there's also support for GCP PubSub, the Google, the Google one. It supports SQS from Amazon. It supports like an Azure Service Bus, ActiveMQ, RabbitMQ. Like it supports a lot of these different things, which is great because I know one of the big questions folks always ask me is, hey, if I'm using a thing in the cloud, but I want to test locally, like how can I do that? I was like, wow, that's hard, right? Because like, not everything in the cloud has like a local version of it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the use cases that I like to use is, okay, well, let's say you want to I keep talking about queues because that's the one that we use the most. But let's say you wanted to do a, a distributed metrics thing, right? Like, So you wanted to use something like Azure Application Insights to keep my logs and metrics and all these types of things. But what if I'm not connected to the cloud? What if I wanted to use something else like Grafana or Elasticsearch or something else to capture my logs and, and do some of that? Well, instead of me changing my code, I could just point Dapper to something else that runs locally. And then I could run it and test it on my machine or, you know, a VM or whatever the case is to make sure that that scenario works. And now whenever I deploy, the only thing I really need to think deeply about is how do I change the dapper configuration to point to something else? But again, that's not a source code change in my application. That's, that's me messing around with YAML and trying to not make mistakes to try and make sure that it works the right way. All of this sounds uh, almost too good to be true. Yeah, I mean, I I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was right. too. I was like, because this could this really work? But you know, I'm I'm a curious person, and so I right. I spent some time kind of digging through their source code repository. And I mean, all, again, all these components that I'm talking about are free and available, at least from the Dapper perspective. And you could just go on GitHub and look at it, and you could see exactly like how a component is implemented. You could see just exactly how the configuration works, and you know, there's documentation, there's samples, and so. It, I mean it, it. I mean the proof is in the pudding, right? Like I just recommend everyone go ahead and try it out. Right. And, you know, and I know they're adding new things to it all the time, so you know you might go check it out tomorrow and see that there's some new building blocks and new components that are in there. So, when somebody
0: gets started with Dapper, what's kind of a first thing that they should build, to, you know, just as a proof of concept and to get familiar with how to, you know, use Dapper?
1: Sure. So usually when you're you're building a distributed app. Right. And you want to use Dapper, I would I would look and see which one of the components makes sense for your use case. Right. So let's say you had a a store, right? You had a online e-commerce store, which is, you know, usually a pretty common use case for distributed applications. Now I might have a like a checkout queue, I might have a pub sub queue that does like order processing or something like that. And you might decide, okay, well, that's the part of my application that I want to start with, right? And I know Dapr supports PubSub. Or, you know, maybe, again, you wanted to do distributed logging and tracing and your app is already split out into multiple components, but you don't really have a good way of doing that, right? So, again, like, I'd say whatever, whichever one of the components makes the most sense for you, like, I'd reach for that first. And, like, let's do, like, some little, first, like, some little proof of concepts to see if that works and if that makes sense. I know when I first started, one of the components that I reached for first was Service Discovery. Because for me, that was, that was important for a demo that I was working on. And in the past, I've used things like HashiCorp Console for my Service Discovery. And you know, I'm a big fan of the HashiCorp family of tools. And, but I was like, I just want to do something simple. Like I just, want to, you know, I just want to spin up a thing and be able to call another service that lives in another place without having hard-coded URLs all over my code or something like that. And so when I I reached out for it and like, you know, like I said before, like, all I have to do is like just do Dapper Run and say, hey, Dapper, I have an app running on localhost port 80 or localhost port 8000, right? And Dapper actually listens to the port and he's like, okay, a service is running now on this port. Anyone that asks for a product service or a checkout service, right? Like once you ask me for it, I'll route you to this machine, to that particular application. It'll just do it for you, which is, I think is pretty amazing.
0: All right. Uh, your example of of a store and you know handing things off to a store kind of reminds me of our, our last show where we actually talked about Orleans. Yeah. Do you know what how Orleans
1: compares to Dapper and which would be better for what? Sure. So Orleans, so for folks that may or may not have listened to that, that last episode, and I always recommend you do that. Orleans is a .NETs project, right? So that means that it is a .NETs DLL or a .NET NuGet package that you install in your .NET applications. And so with that, you know, there's good and bad that comes with that, right? The good part of it is obviously it's .NET, and if you're a .NET developer, that plugs into like your whole ecosystem of tools and things that you're already familiar with. Dapper now is just a process. It's a, it's an executable that you run, and you can run it on any operating system. You can run it. In, on any cloud, but it's not language specific, right? It's not language specific and one, it's not inside of your application, right? So the difference with that is now Dapper runs as a second part to your app. So that means that if you have a checkout service, you're going to have a checkout Dapper thing running next to it as a sidecar, right? If you have a inventory service, you're going to have a, che- a inventory Dapper thing like running right next to you as a sidecar. But it's not in your code. It's not a package, which means that now in terms of how you interact with it is very different. Orleans, like I said before, Orleans specifically is an actor framework. It is a NuGet pack.NET .NET specific thing that's in your app. So in the case that you're, you know, I know a lot of big companies use more than one programming language. As much as we'd love everyone to just use .NET, that's not the case. But, you know, most companies that I talk to use .NET and something. Right, like it's .NET and Python or .NET and Java, right? So now, the thing with if you're using Orleans, you could only really use Orleans for your .NET things, right? If you wanted to to include those in like your Python projects and your Java projects and whatever other things you had inside of your environment, you, you wouldn't be able to do that, right? Because it's not it's, that's not what it's made for, right? Dapper, on the other hand, again, since it's just a process, and you know you communicate with it just via HTTP. So, if you have any application that any platform that speaks HTTP, you could use Dapper versus again having to be a package I have to install and version and, and also deploy alongside my code too whenever that thing changes.
3: How does, how does Dapper handle your uh, app security? Because you mentioned, right, in, in the case of your separate app, you're not having to do magic strings or worry about, about that information inside your actual application. How does
1: it manage that? Sure. So there's, there's a few different components when it comes to security with Dapper. So first of all, by default, when you're running Dapper in production, it uses MTLS, right? So from that perspective already, like when your application is communicating with that sidecar, there's already like a trusted layer of communication that's happening there. And just in the same way too, as Dapper, Dapr, the side, your sidecar talking to other sidecars that might be connected to other instances or services or other different types of services, all that is happening over MTLS internally also to, I, I believe they use gRPC, which runs over HTTP2. And so those communications across the network are also secure by default, you know, using MTLS and, and you know, that communication. Now, in terms of your app itself, now you might have a situation where you have API keys, you might have different types of secrets and configuration matter. That again, we don't want to have that type of stuff checked into our code and referencing GitHub and those types of things. And this is when we reach for external systems like, again, HashiCorp Key Vault or Azure Key Vault to be able to store those in a very secure way. But again, very similar to like some of those other scenarios I mentioned. You know, what if, you know, what if I just want to be able to use these things in a very loose way? I don't want to bring in packages and you know, dependencies on these very specific implementations of secrets management, what if I just want to say, hey, do you have, like, the password for this thing? Hey, do you have, like, the token for this API? Whatever the case is. I just want to ask for stuff, and I have you give it to me. And so Dapper, as its own component, supports doing key stores. So again, like, I can I can have a key store as a component configured in my YAML file, and I can have that point to you know, all of one of the different providers that Dapper supports out of the box. So again, like we could use Azure Key Vault or we could use HashiCorp Vault or you know, we could even use a local key store, which is available too. Now, now, the local key store is only for testing and development. So just FYI, like for folks there that are listening, that's kind of like the in-memory database that you have in NED framework that people put it in production, but it's only there for testing. Right. right yeah do don't 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 do that in production <laughs> yeah let's let's not do that those are testing things but but again like you have those options that are available to you in terms of being able to secure your your secret matter right and being able to access them in a very secure way and again not have to worry about having that type of information embedded inside of your source code
2: so what what are real world applications today that are that are using dapper the mainly for internal apps or internal microsoft apps or have external companies been using it?
1: Yeah, we do have external companies using Dapper. I don't think I'm at liberty to like start calling names about it. But yeah, no. we do have internal and external folks that are using Dapper and not just in a in a lightweight, in a very heavy production grade type way. And I mean, that's that's always one of the huge benefits of, of running things in an open source way and, and being able to work with great partners is now that we're able to get actual real-time and real-world feedback about like... You know, is this thing really battle tested? Can I really run this again in a Kubernetes situation or in a just a raw virtual machine situation? Or, you know, does it really support all the scenarios that we're talking about? And so, you know, being able to have customers internally and externally that help us to do that is is huge. And hopefully after listening to this podcast, one of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> one of you folks that are listening will try it out too and send us some feedback go and create issues inside of the GitHub repo and let us know what exactly you think about
0: it. Um, yeah, we're adding also links to the show notes for anybody that wants to get to some of the information about Dapper or mTLS or anything like that so definitely take a check out the show notes. Yeah.
3: Does does Dapper work with the majority of Azure functionality or offerings? Like you mentioned Kubernetes, but what about Azure Functions? Something along those lines?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Recently, there is there a project that spun up. When I say recently, I want to say maybe like a little bit over a month ago or so. There is a new extensions adapter that supports Azure Functions as well. So if you want to use the Azure Functions programming model, and for folks that don't know, you know, Azure Functions also runs everywhere. You can run it in the cloud and you can also run Azure Functions locally or in containers if you wanted to. It does support doing connecting to Azure Functions to invoke you know, HTTP methods and, and other types of triggers and things of that nature with Azure Functions. So, so that's one integration, like one native integration with a very specific service. And as of more recently, there's actually support for doing workflows with Azure Logic Apps. So you can actually run Azure Logic Apps. This might be another thing that folks don't know. You can run Azure Logic Apps outside of the cloud. And so now there's a a project underway to be able to run Logic Apps within a Dapper service, like embedded within a Dapper service. And now, you know, you, just like you do in Logic Apps, you define like whatever your workflow steps happen to be. Like I do this thing, then it does this thing, then it does this thing, you know, one after the other in a sequential way. And... You know, Dapper could be the thing that's in front of that that will help you manage it, invoke it, and help you integrate that into your system. So those are some of the two more recent ones. I mentioned Application Insights a little, a little bit early in the conversation for logging. So that's another thing that we support. You know, Azure Service Bus support is there. SQL Server support is there. And, and Mongo, not Mongo, Cosmos DB. I'm going to get in trouble because I said Mongo. Are you good? <laughs> Cos Cosmos, Cosmos DB for um, for state storage, and again, like as as more st- oh and, uh, Azure Key Vault, I mentioned that a little while too. So yeah, there's a lot of supports for the 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 Azure the Azure pairings for those mm-hmm. different building blocks that Dapper supports.
2: Great. Seems one of the biggest advantages of Dapper is I guess that I guess the folks who want to avoid that that vendor lock in, isn't it? Like 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 you said, you can. You can use Mongo if you want to but if you if you decide that later on you don't want to use Mongo anymore you want to use cosmos dB or another another no SQL solution you can just you can just change the configuration
1: yeah when you think about when you think about the culture behind microservices right so now this kind of goes a little bit beyond just talking about like the the technical you know bits about it when you think about just the culture of adopting microservices it it's the ability for you to be able to Be wherever you need to be and do the work that you want to do using the tools that you want to use, right? So it's ultimate flexibility, obviously done within the right way, right? Like let's not have like one of everything everywhere, but within within the right context is essentially it allows you to use the right tool for the job and host wherever it is that you see fit, right? That's, that's That's one of the benefits you get out of microservices. But I think also with choice becomes a lot of confusion, right? Because when there's choice, mm-hmm. there's the, oh man, like I have all this choice now. Like there's 10 different mm-hmm. ways to do X. Which one of these am I going to choose? Like, how do I do that? And then not only how do I pick it, after I pick it, how do I integrate it, right? And then what happens when you change your mind and you're like, oh man, I don't really like this. I want to do something different. Well, what, what does change mean, right? And what does the technical depth of that look like? Right? Like what does the timeline for your teams look like in terms of work that needs to be done to make that update? And, and again, with Dapper, and at least with the building blocks it supports, it makes that life a lot easier, and it makes it easier for everyone. Again, not just folks that are running on one particular language or one particular cloud. You could mm. write whatever you want to write. You could host wherever you want to host. Again, you could, you could fully be in that culture of distributed applications distributed teams and distributed services using the right tool for the job and then dapper just makes it easier for you because you think a lot less about the details of implementing and more so how do i use like that service uh, crickets crickets crickets, crickets. <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah but so i love dapper man i mean it's it's been a great project to to play around with one of the things that i'm excited about going forward is you know, when I first started using Dapper, it was purely via HTTP. I was just like, okay, that's great. I don't have to learn another thing. I don't have to install mm-hmm. like a Dapper SDK or whatever the case is. It's HTTP, gRPC, and I can go. So when you think about it, any language that speaks HTTP, which is technically all of, them, I don't know about assembly language, but <laughs> but technically all of, them, mm-hmm. I could I could be able to play in this world. But but even though you have that support, you know that's that's still more code that you have to write. And so one of the things that I'm interested in seeing, and I know the team is working on, is more native integrations to a lot of other Deplatter platforms and tools. So you know you could definitely look forward in some time in the future to seeing like a .NET Core slash ASP.NET Core integration package that makes the 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 integration into Dapper a little bit easier. I know. You know, folks in the Python space, there's going to be a Python SDK and a Go SDK. Again, just to make things a little bit easier in terms of like wiring those up. And again, like you know, the code that you don't have to write is the best code, right? <laughs> it's like because there's less code that you have to maintain and version and things of that nature. So, you know, as we as we move forward to that point, you know, I think these integrations are just going to make it make it more accessible to everyone that are like, hey, I really wanted to get into this microservice thing, but it's scary. It's scary, and then there's a lot there, and I don't know where to start, and like, I have to learn so much. I can tell you from a learning perspective, Dapper, you could, you could pick up Dapper in maybe half an hour, right? And that half an hour is probably going to be you reading, doing a lot of reading and going through the docs just to understand what's there. But then once you get it, you're just like, okay, cool, I just run this command, and then now the onus is on you to build the service or the tool that's going to consume that thing. Right, Which is the code that you'd probably be writing anyway, and so you know those those scenarios that make it easier for you to get into the system and make use of the architecture without having to buy into a particular platform or or framework, I think is huge, right you know folks follow me on Twitter, you might see me rant a little bit about the difficulty of using Kubernetes or the difficulty of using orchestrators you yeah. know i'm I'm a fan of orchestrators, I believe that they're great, I think some of the more common ones are super hard for de- for developers to get into for beginners to get into like there's a lot of time that needs to be invested in terms of like understanding how to even set it up never mind like run on it
0: mm-hmm. versus
1: like hey well what if what if what if i want to have a micro microservice right like what if i have microservices but like i don't have like 200 services or i don't have like you know, a huge thing. What if I have three services and I just want to scale those three services independently, right? You know, me moving to some of these larger, larger orchestrators is a little bit of an overkill. Like it's, it's too much, right? But I think with things like Dapper and, and, you know, some of the other tools that you'll see come out, you know, going through into next year, you know, the focus is really on making it easier for folks to be able to leverage the patterns, making it easier for you to pick the patterns too that you choose, right? Because I think a lot of folks also believe that, hey, if I'm a microservice distributed app, I have to use all the things and that's not the case at all, right? Like you can pick and choose what makes sense for you. You could pick and choose where you want to host it, how you want to run it. And you know, hopefully Dapper would be like one of those things that makes that, that decision and that, you know, that process way easier for you going forward.
0: Yeah, so is there anything that we haven't asked about that our listeners should know? I don't
1: think so. You know, one of the things with, with Dapper art always say is, you know, the best thing to do is to just try it. You know. Just try it. Again, it's open source. You know, the the team does a great job in terms of like listening to feedback and also making sure that they're available to have those types of conversations. You know, they're you know, they're on Twitter, they have a website, there's a Gitter channel. So Gitter, if folks aren't familiar, is kinda like a chat room that's associated with a repo, which I think is pretty cool. So, you know, there's a lot of folks that are in the Gitter chat room just talking about Dapper all the time. And you know, sometimes that's folks from the team, sometimes that's folks from different parts of the world. And everyone has different issues and problems. Everyone's using different languages, and seeing everyone be there to support each other and answer questions—that's it's it's the best like it's the best like troubleshooting environment uh, from my perspective. You know usually what i'll do is like i 'll go into the getter channel before I go on like you know search through the issues and things of that nature because the responses are really quick and then you know it's it's you know it's more interactive from that way. The team also does a i think it's a bi weekly call which is which is great um so the call is live it's it's through Zoom, but they also do it live and they host them on youtube so and they talk about all the new cool features and things that they're working on as they work up to dapper 1.0 right so as as of today as of the time of this recording i think dapper is 0.10 so it's not 1.0 yet so as you can imagine there's still you know breaking changes are still happening you know new features are still happening you know again those different sdks and integrations new ones are being made all the time but you know if you want to be part of the conversation now if you want to influence the open source project today you know if you want to be able to say hey well Hey, well, I told them to add this feature and they added it. And now like it is forever ingrained in like, you know, the DNA of dapper, right? Like now would be the time for you to jump in and help out. And, you know, sometimes that could be just helping out with docs and samples or sometimes it's, you know, suggesting new features or implementing new features. Sometimes it's testing out existing features to be like, hey, well, it works in this scenario, but it doesn't in this one. Would you consider, you know doing something additional, right? Like being able to have those conversations are really important, particularly since the product is so young. Because, you know, as software developers, we know if we don't change it now, probably not gonna get changed later. To me, we talk about it, but it's probably not gonna get changed later. So is it ready for production applications? Yeah, so like I mentioned before, we do have folks that are running it in production, but running with the, the set of available building blocks that come out of the box, right? Like I mentioned also before, what you're going to see is there are going to be more integrations that are going to come in. You know, the Azure Functions one, we have to get that one to 1.0. Um, you know, better integration with Logic Apps, you have to get that one to 1.0. And then there's tons of other providers, right? So providers being the implementations that plug into those building blocks is more, um, more of those that we want to get in the box. So again, like if folks want to see something like, you know, Azure Storage or Azure Redis Queue or... You know, name your service, whatever it is, and there's not an existing provider for it, there's not existing implementation that plugs into Dapper, now would be a great time to to add those things and have those conversations about what would support for this thing look like. Also, again, because Dapper is about patterns, if there's a pattern that you've seen yourself use a lot, you know, in your in your work in building distributed apps, but maybe it's it's not something that's in Dapper today, now would be a great time to be like, hey this is something that we use this is really common you know how can we add this to dapper and if you, if you looked over the last few releases like most of those features have been community requested features it's been folks from the community that've used it have tried it in their different production scenarios and said hey you know here's something very common that we do you know how can we do this with dapper and if it doesn't exist today like the team again is usually fairly quick turnaround the team is able to go in and add it and then you know, hopefully, everyone tests it, and and then you know, we could promote it into a, a production grade scenario.
3: It it sounds like Dapper's got a really strong foundation, and it's just going to continue to to grow from here.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I think one of the one of the things that makes open source successful is one having a, a strong community. That means that that means listening to your community, interacting with your community, and making them feel involved, making them feel like they're a part of the project. And then two, being able to you know, just show respect for and open up scenarios for different people across, like, the ecosystem. I think once we start to lock things down and say, hey, I'm going to make this really cool feature, but it only runs in Kubernetes. Oh, great. Well, I don't use Kubernetes. I can't use your feature, right? Or this really great feature, and it only works in Go, or it only works in Node.js, or it only works here. I mean, like, I appreciate innovation across, you know, these different ecosystems, but when you can have something that truly runs in a in a very diverse in a very open way, then that that opens it up for everyone. And so by default, your community would be so much larger because everyone can get a chance to play and have an opinion and share an experience versus being like, oh, okay, well, I don't use that thing that only runs on the MacBook on like 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't have that thing. So <laughs> I'm sorry. It doesn't make sense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I think I'm going to push us into picks. Thanks for that great discussion on Dapper. Yeah, sure. You're welcome. Yeah. Yep. yeah, it's
1: good. Interesting. Yeah.
0: So why, uh, let, why don't you start it off and let us know what your pick is this week?
2: Okay. So I actually recently got a, like, a really good deal on a, on a VPN. It's called Surfshark. And yeah, I've been really impressed with it. So here in Australia, it's, I guess... Best thing but say would be like a lot of shows kind of get blocked. We don't get the, the latest shows on Netflix and things like that. It's just really good to be able to just have this VPN and just log into the, the US Netflix and watch um, <laughs> The Office or Breaking Bad or something like that. Nice. But also like because I, um, I, I like to, to watch a lot of kind of like Chinese TV shows. As well. Sometimes it's good to actually hook, hook up to the – the Hong Kong region as well and see some Cantonese shows and stuff like that. So it's just been really good having a, having this VPN. So it's called Surfshark and it's, yes, i, I got a really good deal. So it was like 90% off. So
0: yeah. yeah that's a good deal. Yeah. All right, Caleb, what's your pick? Well, switch game.
2: Know, well, it's actually, it's not a switch game.
3: It is a game, but it's not a switch game. Cause you know, I usually pick stuff that I'm using to decompress or relax <laughs> or, you know, take care of myself. Right now I've actually gotten back into destiny too which is a PC looter shooter kind of game. And they have made the base game, like the first two expansions, free. And and so I've hopped back in and been playing it for a little bit and, and enjoying, you know, blowing up other people for an hour or so here
1: and there. You know, I know folks on that are listening can't see my facial expression, but like my eyes lit up when you say Destiny. Like, So I've <laughs> I've loved Destiny since the first one. I've spent like more hours than I'd probably want to admit playing Destiny One. You know, I, I got into Destiny yeah. 2 earlier this year. I haven't played it as much as I'd like to because you know I have to work. But right, right. I I <laughs> I'm such a huge fan of like that that world of of Destiny and then the lore and like I, I love it man. Do you play on do you play on a console, you said or do you play on, on the PC? Your, PC? your PC? PC? Got it.
3: You on a console? <laughs> I do. I play it on the Xbox. I play it on the
1: Xbox. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, yeah I love Destiny PC.
1: That's oh. Yeah, I love Destiny, but that's yeah, a really yeah. good game.
0: Yeah. I'm so old I never really got used to using a a console controller. I just, just just my fingers just don't work that way. It's been keyboard and mouse just for so many years. It's just I can't switch over.
3: You know the funny thing is, on the PC I'm actually using an Xbox controller. Because <laughs> I find <laughs> I mean I, I get it's not as precise or I don't have you know minute control but it's easier yeah. for me to do the controller than it's to keyboard for games like Destiny for shooters right so right
1: right, right, right. It, I think one of the things like a conscious decision I had to make was I had to separate games from my computer because uh, like gotcha. the computer is like work right. right and then games are not work I can't have work right. Right. And, you know, I can't have them together. I need to be a separation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I'm in my office, you know, folks can't see, but I'm in my office right now. I have to go downstairs and go to the other TV to play the Xbox, right? Like there's no Xbox like anywhere in the space. So like, because I work from home as well, like, and I've always worked from home, like even before the pandemic, like it had to be a separation from, okay, I am leaving work. Like I'm walking out of this room I'm going to go somewhere else to decompress because if not, like I'd just be working all the time. Like, cause you imagine like me playing and then, I don't mm. know like Teams pops up in the corner. Hey, how so could you do this thing? I'm <laughs> like, no, I'm trying to do this raid. Like, leave me alone. Yeah. yeah well,
0: yeah. lately I've been watching a lot of Diablo videos, especially with the preview stuff for Diablo Four coming out yeah. in 2025, probably somewhere around that time frame. But <laughs> <laughs> I also read that they're they're might be working on a diablo 2 remake so that would be pretty interesting to have that you know pop up within the next year so yeah that's kind of been my realm that uh, i enjoy games that way
1: yeah if you're a if you're a fan of the blizzard the blizzard material they announced or there's a rumor that's going around that there might be a minecraft show like a series that they're going to do no, I'm sorry, not micro. Like a Warcraft series that they're going. Do. So oh, okay, I'm, I'm kind of curious about that and to see what, like um, a Netflix
2: series, like TV yeah, like series.
1: something like that. Yeah, like a oh, like a cool. like a multi part thing like that. So I'm curious to see if they're going to do it. I never watched the movie. I know there was a Warcraft movie. I never saw it, but like I'm curious to see if they're going to. It do It was not series. that good. I thought Overwatch. it was all right, was Warcraft, no but
0: I, I've, I've always thought forever and ever,
1: because the cut scenes for
0: Diablo were so awesome, I always thought they were going to make a movie out of that, and they never have yet. So, mm. so uh, let's see, talking about uh, movies and shows, my pick this week. Even though today is the first day you can stream Bill and Ted's Face the Music movie, which i really like i've been watching lately a show on netflix called warrior nun it's it's a terrible title but but the show you know just watch a couple episodes you'll you'll get into it it's really interesting i won't give too much away but it's about a girl that dies but then gets brought to, back to life by an angel's halo getting embedded into her back and that gives her all sorts of abilities and powers and things like that so spoiler alert spoiler alert no it's not a spoiler that's just it, that's that's, that's in the first, first
1: episode
0: first episode <laughs> first 20 30 minutes of it so you'll get to that far yeah uh, right away but it's actually really interesting and i i didn't like how they ended the season. Right in the middle of something, but there's another season coming, so I just have to wait for that. So and the, all,
2: all shows do that these days, don't they? They always have that hook at the end of the season, to And then, and then they away. say they say they're coming back, and then <laughs> six <laughs> months later, they're like, uh, "We yeah. decide not
3: to renew this show."
2: <laughs> or, or they come back six months later, and you're like, "What happened again?" Like, oh, <laughs>
0: that was, that was a year ago, I don't remember what happened. Like, this was more than a hook. I mean, the way they ended this is like right in the middle. You know, he is uh-huh. like. Oh they're not even gonna finish that before the next you know and then then bring something up at the end to, that, you, that you'll that pick up again on next this is like right in the middle it's like ah <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> know I'm right. glad so, you had
1: such I'm glad you had such a positive like feeling about the show because when I saw the name I was like there's no way I'm gonna watch a show named Warrior Nun." <laughs> <laughs> that was that was totally based on just the name. So right. I I love that you said like don't worry about the name. I watched the show because the name is exactly why I didn't watch the show. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: even my wife before I hit start and play, she was gone. I don't want to watch this. Show. I don't want. And then you know halfway through the first episode, or whatever, we were both you know really into it.
1: Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's good. So, all right, what are you gonna pick for us, Cecil? All right, my pick. So since we were talking about games earlier. I guess folks might have guessed, like, I'm into games just, like, a little bit. And one of my, like, so when my son was born, um, I have an eight-year-old, but when my son was born, I remember I was on leave, and I spent a lot of time on the couch, like, holding a baby and, like, watching TV or playing games. And one of the series that I started to playing, I, I went all the way through, was the Batman Arkham series. So, you know... Arkham Origins, Arkham Knights, and Arkham City. And I think just this week, or I think it was last weekend, they just announced a new Batman game or a a game in the Batman world called the Gotham Knights. And I'm really excited to see that uh, whenever it comes out. It's not out today. It's going to be out next week. But it's one of those... Like, we've been waiting to hear about this game for like two years now, maybe a little bit more. And they're like, what are you going to do with WB? Like, what's happening? Like, where's, where's the announcement? So they finally announced it. It looks like it's going to be a little bit different, though. It's in the Batman world, but you don't play as Batman. You can be the Red Hood or Robin or Batgirl. Like, you play with, you know, the rest of the family, but not with Batman himself. But uh, it looks really interesting. I'm really excited to play it. And, and that's my pick. Very, very cool. Very like,
0: cool. I grew up on Adam West Batman, so that was cool. That's how old I am. I told you. Don't worry about saying you're old. I am old. <laughs> All right. So if people want to reach out to you, they have
1: questions on Dapper, how can they do that, Cecil? Sure. I'm fairly active on Twitter. Like, Pretty much like every day I'm on Twitter doing something or messaging about something. But you can always reach out to me on Twitter at Philip. I'm also totally open to folks following me or adding me on LinkedIn if they want to just talk about whatever. So, so that's also a good avenue. On top of that too, I mean, I also do a lot with our Channel 9 studios. So Channel 9, if folks aren't familiar, is like Microsoft's video portal had it for years, like much longer than I've even been at the company. And that's where a lot of, you know, our video shows live, you know, in addition to YouTube. So there's an AI show and then there's At Your Friday. You know, I help host and produce the On.net show. You can imagine it's all about .net stuff. And then we also, right now, we're doing a lot of live things as well. So if folks are interested to interacting with us live, like you can definitely check out our community standups. We do On.net live on Thursdays, every other Thursday. You know, we have our ML.net folks that they just recently started live streaming as well. So any point in time that you actually want to speak to the people that actually build the product and use the tools, you know, those are always great avenues for you to reach out to them and and have like an interactive conversation. Awesome, awesome. And if people
0: want to reach out to the show, we'd love to hear from you. We want to get feedback on how we can make the show better. You can reach me on Twitter at .NET Superhero. .net uh, yeah, up, yeah. Up away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to the rescue. <laughs> All right, thanks guys. Great show. Yeah. Yep. All right. Yep. We'll, we'll catch you everybody y'all. on the next episode of adventuresin.net. See you later. Bye.